Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 275 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. How you doing? Good. 275. Every once in a while, there's a number that sounds like important, a big one. That does sound important because if you double it, it's 550. Yeah, I like that. So if we do 275 more Tuesday episodes, we'll be 550. (laughs) We'll be dead. Just kidding. And we'll be old. (laughs) (laughs) So here we are. It's toward the end of August and we are continuing what we started last week, which was taking your listener questions on different parenting topics and offering our solicited advice in this case um, as best we can. So we love to do this. It's our favorite kind of episode to record. Um, If you didn't listen last week, this is not the type where you need to listen in order. We just tend to pair them because it makes our lives easier to collect a whole bunch and then do back-to-back episodes. So um, there are four, four listener questions in last week's episode, but they are not in any way like, you know, chronologically connected to today. I want to throw out just a little uh, trend that I noticed this time around. And you remarked on it earlier too, Sarah. We got a lot of questions about negativity um, and attitude issues, particularly in boys. And I'm wondering if there's something, I mean, I'm wondering, that's like the understatement of the year. (laughs) I'm sure there is something in our current COVID situation that is bringing either we're all just spending a lot more time together. And so that stuff is becoming more apparent or like it's, actually creating um, more intense negativity, anxiety, whatever um, is, you know, creating those things. So I just think that that's an interesting trend. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure we've ever gotten quite so many questions about the older set, like the older elementary school set and their attitudes. Boys with bad attitudes. Boys with bad attitudes. Oh, what a great band (laughs) name. Yeah. Um, I agree. And I, I had the same thought that COVID has 
either, you know, put kids under strain to the point that some of these things are coming out more and or we are together more in noticing and being perhaps triggered by our kids' yeah. bad attitudes more. And then all of those things are both and, you know, it's all it's all true. Yeah. It's all happening. Yeah. Yeah. So if your kids seem grumpy and have a bad attitude right now, you are not alone. And we'll we decided, in. <laughs> and we decided to take all of the questions because we were like, yeah. well, they, they're kind of similar, but they're not. And they're all important. So, yeah. um, also quickly wanted to mention that if you're a newer listener and you like this format, this listener questions format, um, I'll throw a link in the show notes to all of our past listener questions episodes. I think we don't number them this way, but there's like 25 to 30 somewhere in there, uh, times that we have done this exact thing. And it's a it's a fun way to kind of get to know Megan and me and also cover like a lot of different parenting challenges in a in a shorter form, since we usually take, you know, at least four questions per episode. So I will link to that. And that would be a little like a fun. If you're not ready to binge our entire catalog. That would be kind of a fun, a fun archives, deep a dive. A fun little binge. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready-to-eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite factor meals. And Katie loved the herb crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this. So did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day. And Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the Forever Chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. 
That's from our O-U-R place.com code mom hour. Well, our first question comes from Rebecca, a longtime listener who lives in London, in England, and um, has over the years sent us emails kind of like commenting on different parenting differences uh, culturally in the UK and the United States. And it's always really fun to hear from Rebecca. And now we yeah. get to hear her, hear her voice. Um, so let's play Rebecca's question now. Hi, Megan and Sarah. It's Rebecca. And I live in London, in England. I've been a listener for several years now. Um, and I've got three kids who are now eight, six, and almost three. And I have a question for you around positive attitudes and motivation. Our eight-year-old now seems to think, A, his little brother is out to get him at all times and do everything negatively, but he also kind of generally has a negative outlook. Like, he's always going to fail before he even tries. And I'm not entirely sure where he's getting that from, although I do, if I have to say, see a bit of my sister in him with that mentality. But I have no idea how to get him to change it, how to get him to think positively. Because when we work with him and get him to think positively, he can accomplish anything because he's really, you know, he's keen and he's talented, but he just sets himself up for failure. But I wanted to know if you guys have experienced that and how, how you've managed that and how you've kind of taught your child to be that positive person so that they can achieve whatever they want to, I guess, at the end of the day. Um, Thanks very much. I do really love your show and have a wonderful day. Bye. Okay, Rebecca, I feel you. Um, I am a, I'm an optimist. I have called myself a, I don't know, chronic optimist, depending on how optimistic I'm feeling about my optimism. <laughs> sometimes I paint it in a negative and sometimes I paint it in a positive light. But I have one child in particular who is really pessimistic. Um, and it is like oil and water, honestly. When you have like a negative, when you have a negative thinking person, like a someone who leans towards the, I can't, or it won't work out. And you're the person who's like the cheerleader going, it will work out. Just try. Mm -hmm. It's going to be great. Those two things are, and I don't know that Rebecca false is quite as like spastically positive as I can sometimes be, but like it, those two things don't, they like, they really clash Mm -hmm. Um, because it almost feels like the two people, it almost can feel like you are dismissing their whole worldview mm-hmm. and vice versa. Like it mm-hmm. feels like by them, like I can take it very personally and I'll just say it's Owen when he's already starting to set himself up to fail or like setting a situation up to not be good before we've even tried. Yeah. Um, or when he'll say things like, why would I even bother doing that? It's not going to work out. I, I take it really personally because there I am like, yeah, of course you, you know, of course we can do this or of course we should try this. Um, and sometimes I take it personally because I think it's a, it's a criticism almost of something I'm trying to do for him, which Mm -hmm. is like, you know, like we talk about a lot in these questions, like it's so hard not to take things personally, but the last thing you can do is take things personally with Mm -hmm. a kid. So I just want to validate that, that it's really, really frustrating. Um, I do think it's just the way some kids are wired and I don't, I don't know. I don't want to sound defeatist while talking about not being defeatist. Um, (laughs) it's getting very meta but I've never been able to kind of talk him into it. It's almost like you have to dance around it. So mm-hmm. let's say the, let's say the, the topic du jour was like, um, Owen, I thought it would be really cool if you took this class, whatever it is. 
And then he comes up with all the reasons why it would never work or it wouldn't be any fun or whatever. It's like, I have to then kind of like reverse engineer that and say like, well, why? Like pick up. And and sometimes he's not wrong always. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes they've, there has been research that shows that pessimism can actually lead to happiness (laughs) because your expectations aren't out of whack. Uh So like, I think sometimes optimism can set you up to then later have a weirdly negative response. So I don't really even know what I'm getting at, except to say, I think this is so normal and I know it's so frustrating, but I've never really been able to talk Owen out of it. Or like, I've, I haven't had any success making him a more positive person. Mm -hmm. I think what I have done is I have been able to say before you just dismiss it out of hand, let's actually talk it through and see. And just to encourage both of us, instead of him having a knee jerk, that won't work. Or me having a knee jerk, like, let's try. It's almost like we have to meet in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to put on my logical brain and and look at the downsides and the challenges, which I don't like to do. That's yeah. not some, I just like to mow them over. Um, and then maybe he has to kind of look back a little bit at times that he did succeed at something yes. that he didn't think, or he did have fun at something he didn't think he would, or or sometimes really pick apart what the actual obstacles are so that he can realize they're not as big as where his brain makes them. But it's rather, it's not really encourage him, encouraging him to be more positive. It's almost like encouraging him to use those logic skills yeah. that make him sometimes so negative to actually see it all the way through logically. And that's the piece I think, like you lean in on the logic because I think kids who are, who come off as negative often are just really detail oriented, logical thinkers, Mm -hmm. and they don't get caught up in the emotion of wanting something to work. They're just like, well, I just don't see how it will. Yeah. And sometimes they're right. And sometimes they're wrong. So that's a very long winded way of saying, sorry. No, 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 no. I, (laughs) I I love what you said. And it gave me time to kind of like collect some additional thoughts. I love what you just said about using, um, relying on past history to kind of walk, gently walk them through like, Hey, remember, remember that other time when you were really hesitant to try this new thing and it turned out okay. Like what worked that time? Like almost like, you know, doing, being a therapist a little bit and like not in a heavy handed way, but like walking them back through their success in the past at, um, whether it's conquering a fear or just doing something they didn't really want to do, trying something new. I think that's, I think that is a great strategy. Um, I also wanted to point out that at eight, you as a mom have the benefit of being probably his favorite punching bag and confidant. So he's going to unload anything that's kind of anxiety laden or, you know, grumpiness or whatever, whatever it is, he's going to unload on you, unfortunately. Sorry, mom. Um, and it might be just sort of like, uh, an outward way of processing his, like you said, Megan, his decision-making process, his ultra pragmatism or his pessimism or his anxiety. Um, what I was going to ask as like a follow-up or something for Rebecca to think about is I'm curious how much of the time his actual end behavior is affected by this negativity versus just needing to vent a little bit. And then he does the yeah. thing anyway. Uh, when, when you read about kids and anxiety specifically, you know, they'll, it'll always say like worries are normal and talking about worries 
is a normal part of childhood. And when a kid probably needs some extra help, it's when they are actually prevented from doing things they love and living their best kid life. And when it reaches the point where they are unable to go on a sleepover or unable to go to school, then it's not like the end of the world, but it, it means that they need a little bit of extra help. Whereas if they just have a worry and they need to talk about it and bring their blankie and cry a little bit, but then they do the thing anyway, that's they're probably in a healthy space with their anxiety because they did the thing. And then each time they did the thing, you can look back and say, you did the thing, remember? And I think this negativity, whether it's related to anxiety or not, almost doesn't matter. It's kind of the same thing. If, if it's a lot of processing and complaining and unloading on mom, but then ultimately he does the thing and feels pretty good about it, then I think you're probably in that sweet spot. And like you said, Megan, it's a personality thing. It's a maturity thing. Um, Whereas if he really is kind of unable to get over it or if it's preventing right. him from doing the thing, then I would say that's at the, that next level where it, you just would probably investigate what's going on. What's what's preventing him from really getting past this? It won't work kind of failure mentality. So I don't know if I yeah. helped it all there. but Well, and I think that that actually leads to another follow up question, which would be or even just a comment for Rebecca to like, maybe try to drill down on what's actually like, what is causing what looks like negative thinking or resistance. Um, some kids are very impressionable and get caught up in a mom's excitement about something, mm. um, that the mom really wants them to try. And some kids don't care and they yeah. don't want to do stuff. And I think, <laughs> Like some kids yeah. really are pretty happy not doing stuff. And I, that's just, you know, and, so it can almost seem annoying when I'm there like, let's do this thing. It's going to be so fun. And Owen's like, no, it's not. And I don't want to. So there's sometimes that too. Like it could be anxiety. It could be over pragmatism. Mm-hmm. It could just be that they don't really see the point and they don't want to do the thing. And some, and not all the things need to be did um, right. either. So, so like I have to balance that in myself because I get excited because I think one of my kids would be great at something. Or like they would really enjoy it yeah. and they disagree. Uh, and that can seem like negativity when really it's just they don't want to. Yeah. And that like I have to decide then how important is it to be that they try this thing? Um, are they doing enough other stuff? Is their life well-rounded enough? Yeah. Um, and I also have the benefit now that Owen's 14 of knowing that when he decides he wants to do something, he does it like all the way. Yeah. So it may also not it may also be like not wanting to commit himself to something that he doesn't feel that jazzed about yeah. because he knows there's going to be something else that he's going to. So it's like personality and possibly anxiety and all, and maybe just a doesn't want to, they, all those things can like kind of um, all come together to create what looks like negativity and maybe is just a weird mix of personality yeah. and well, um, yeah, pragmatism. And I think what we're kind of, what we've circled back to is Rebecca's question is how does she, how does she create or encourage a positive attitude? And maybe what we're saying is we're not sure that you can, but you can model one and you can give your kid tools to be successful in, in developing their own kind of positive outlook, but that might not look like what you think it will. Exactly. And, and it's probably best that you don't engage too hard and get your own emotions too wrapped up in how you, uh, perceive their excitement about life to be, you know, so like the whole, don't take it personally. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's been like the theme of the last two episodes. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
All right. Well, well that, yeah, that we're going to another one. <laughs> yeah, we're going to jump right in. And this probably will feel like a continuation. And we did that intentionally. So Michelle's question is um, about her 10 year old son. Um, and it's more about frustration and resilience. But I think it's going to be a great kind of continuation of this discussion. So let's listen to Michelle. Hey, Megan and Sarah, my name is Michelle, and I live in Western South Dakota. I have two kids, a 10-year-old son named Eli and a five-year-old daughter named Adelaide. And my question pertains to my older son, who is a lot like Reed and Owen. Right now, we're going through a problem in dealing with frustration. This kid has no resilience when it comes to little things like being uncomfortable when his sister is talking or reading to herself while he's trying to do something else or being in a hotel room with pillows that are new to him and not being able to handle that. Um, How do I help him deal with that and work through it? And also how do I, as a mom, learn to step back and disengage and let him roll with it? Cause I'm more invested than he is oftentimes. Thanks for the great show. It's one of my favorites. Keep up the good work. Okay, so in our continuing um, Boys with Bad Attitudes (laughs) saga, (laughs) um, no, I'm laughing, but I relate to this a whole bunch. And I love that Michelle just came right out and said that her Eli, I think it is, reminds her of Owen and Reed. And it's just really, it's awesome that you all know our kids so well. And we're all, yes, I love that. We all, you know, they're all a little bit different, but I love that she saw the the Owen and the Reed in her Eli. So I'm going to say, yes, we, this is something I'm very experienced with this kind of a short fuse frustration or a, a lack of flexibility, a lack of resilience when, when little things go wrong. Um, Reed has made huge strides in this area. So if you are, you know, have a six or seven year old with inflexibility issues, I, I can tell you that um, the years like seven, eight, nine were really like big growth areas, but it's still something that we deal with every day. So I'll just mention a few things that have kind of helped us. Um, one is that exactly what you described, Michelle, all of those kind of short fusedness, um, they're made worse when, when things are out of whack in other ways. So specifically, um, lack of exercise, and this has been a hard one during COVID. So too much sitting around too much screens or lack of exercise makes all of this incredibly like exponentially worse for Reed as does, um, feeling disconnected. Reed really needs time with his father. They're very close and they do things like play games together or, you know, do different, mostly gameplay. And if they have not, if he's not had time with Brian, like really good connected time, um, then that will, those things will come out as worse. So thinking about like the different ways that your kids, uh, that he's regulated or that his cup is filled um, and just like proactively kind of observing whether you can keep those those sensitivities may be at bay by filling his cup in the ways, you know, some kids are really triggered by lack of sleep or hunger or nutrition. Even Um, reads are more uh, screens inactivity. And like he gets, um, I call it like anxious bored. He'll say I'm bored. And I'm like, no, you're no, you're anxious. Like you, you, your wheels are spinning too much inside your head. And then all of those things become worse. So that's one. Um, Another thing that's really helped us is I think kids like this, I think a lot of it comes from anxiety. Um, I think kids like this do really well when they can feel competent and um, like successful in something. So 
um, your little guy sounds like he's, you know, sensitive to, you mentioned like pillows in a hotel room or the noise of his sister being in the same room. So those to me are like sensory or sensitivity issues that like a kid who's just kind of on edge is going to be. And quite honestly, I am like that. Like I am when I'm more on edge, I'm more bothered by those types of things. So one thing that I have found helps is making sure that kid feels really in control and successful at something in their life. And honestly, sometimes that comes from chores. And I will tell you, it is torture to give a kid who's already negative and sensitive and ornery a job or a chore. But if you do it consistently and give them something to do that almost like harnesses their strengths, they feel that sense of competence and almost control over their situation. Um, So I'm probably not going to ask him to like clean a bathroom or something, but I might like with Reed, I will look for something where he can use his engineering and use his, um, you know, his brains and figure out how something works or put something together. Um, It's really good, I think, for those kids to feel like they're contributing to the family unit because sensitive kids or grumpy kids, as we talked about in the last question, and you've said this with Owen, Megan, they can sometimes get a free pass because we're all afraid of making them mad or like poking the bear. But then if they get a free pass from chores all the time, they're not having that, that satisfaction that comes with like doing something useful. So I guess, um, make sure his cup is filled, put him to work. Um, and, and when, when I say put him to work, like something that can feel really rewarding, it's kind of an intrinsic reward to feel like you really did something. And I can see, I can see in Reed's face and his demeanor when he has felt accomplished at something, but it takes a little push sometimes. And then finally, I know this is getting long, but finally, I think Michelle asked about not just how to help her son, but also how to disengage herself from being so attached. And again, we've said it twice now, not taking it personally, but I just really relate to that. I especially relate to it because when he was younger, I spent so much mental energy trying to avoid meltdowns and trying to like orchestrate our day so that his like explosion wouldn't happen. And that is exhausting. And then he kind of outgrew most of that stuff. And I realized I didn't have to, but those old habits die hard. So practicing disengaging and practicing that you like you, he can be having a terrible day and be super grumpy about the pillow and his sister. And you can just be kind of floating above it all. That is, I don't necessarily have a lot of advice on how to do that, except that it's really, it's really important and it takes a lot of practice. So. Yeah. Um, no, that's all great advice. And it's funny as you were talking, I was just thinking about my kids and I actually think that this is more of like a William thing Mm. and in to some degree, Clara and the difference is with Owen, like I said, in the last to the last question, if he doesn't really want to do something, he just kind of won't do it. Mm -hmm. So there really isn't that meltdown or the blow up or the frustration. He's, he comes off as very chill. Um, unless he is trying, unless someone's trying to get him to do something he doesn't want to do. And then it's like a very, like the way, like a dog sometimes will just like dig in their heels, but not bark. They like just make themselves weigh a million pounds. That's kind of more like what Owen's resistance is like. Right. So the, what we're talking about here is explosiveness potentially, or just grumpiness, like that irritability or just, um, falling apart. And Clara has a really hard time when things like when she feels like she over dramatizes things when mm-hmm. she doesn't think she did a good job. And so she doesn't blow up. She just like, she kind of falls. She just kind of dissolves a little bit, mm-hmm. but will is the one who will blow up. 
Mm. And good old reliable William. Good old reliable William. It's it's definitely more something he's been doing in the last few years as a teenager. Um, and it's irritations. He gets irritated by something, and then you'll hear him, you know, yell at someone. And so I think for me, it's like figuring out the distinction between getting frustrated and imploding a little bit or falling apart or like taking it out on other people. To me, those are like, Mm -hmm. maybe it's caused by the same thing, but the, but the output is different. Um, and so I would totally disengage if it was something that was kind of that, that gentle implosion or like something I really couldn't do anything about. And I just need to let them fall apart a little bit and then figure it out and kind of flex that muscle that things are going to be okay with whatever encouragement I can. But, but then like the taking it out on siblings that then creates that, that, um, tripwire feeling mm-hmm. like everyone's walking through landmines yeah. in the family and that's no good either. And so I, I continue now, William's almost 17 and I have to have conversations with him about this, like probably since he like turned about 14, like you might be irritated, but you don't get to mm-hmm. yell mm-hmm. at your sister or you don't get to like talk to me in that voice. It's, it's, not okay. Like it hurts my feelings. It hurts her feelings. Um, and at 10, maybe the way you would couch that conversation would be different than at 16, like 16. It's like, you know, you don't get to talk to me like that. Knock (laughs) it off at 10. It might be more like, you know, wow. When you use that tone of voice, it really hurts other people's feelings. Are there other ways you could express your frustration or maybe you can get up and leave the room Yeah, if your sister's bugging you so much. Right. So like there's different levels of coaching that happen, but I'm always thinking about like, who are the other people in the room and how do we make this livable for everybody, um, for the unit. And sometimes kids who have those explosive behaviors, I think sometimes they get away with it and then it becomes, it starts to perpetuate. Like nobody wants to set that kid off. Yep. So yep. everyone tiptoes around them. And like, that's not good for anybody. That's not good for the family. And it's not good for that kid because they, they need to figure out how to be frustrated without, having to let everyone know forcefully that they're mm-hmm. frustrated. Mm-hmm. So that's, I guess, just my addition. Yeah. Um, no. And, and the fact that I think that sometimes the, that resilience thing plays out differently in different kids. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. It's funny that I talked more about the prevention almost like the prevention or the, I don't know what else you would call it, but like the proactive things to help a kid like that. And then you spoke really well to the, like the reality of when you have a kid who's more, easily frustrated or, you know, taking that out on, you know, kind of bringing the, bringing the family vibe down when things don't go their way. So yeah, I feel for all of our boys with bad attitudes. (laughs) (laughs) I want this on a (laughs) t-shirt. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay heeled sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip on Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip on Flat. That's next on my list. 
Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's chewable kids' vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, so we are back and I am fascinated by this first question, which is going to be all for Sarah because (laughs) Sarah, you have talked about your okay to wake clock many times on the show. And I've always been fascinated by this because none of my kids have ever been early risers. Right. And for me, it would have to be like, uh, get your butt out of bed. Right. You need an something. actual alarm clock, like a rooster, like, yeah, exactly. like I have. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So um, here's Kara's question. And then Sarah, the answer is all you. Hey, Megan and Sarah, this is Kara from uh, Rhode Island. And I want to first off say thank you so much for your show. I've been listening since my oldest daughter, who's now three and a half, was just a baby. And uh, so now I have a three and a half year old and a, uh, I guess you could call her a 20 month old. (laughs) My question today is actually just um, more directed towards Sarah simply because she's spoken about this before. Um, Can you give me some advice on how to make the um, okay to wake light effective? Um, My three and a half year old is very smart. She understands exactly what doggies ball being red and green means. However, Getting her to actually comply is a different story. Fortunately, the way that their bedroom is, they have a shared bedroom. Um, we are able to, you know, they're not uh, bursting through the door before doggy's ball turns green, but she's basically shouting to me at the, from the top of the stairs at, you know, five, five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> um, and it's, it's just getting, it's getting crazy. It's getting earlier and earlier and earlier. And I, I just, I explained to her over and over again, what doggy's ball means, but she just doesn't seem to comply. Okay. So Kara, thank you for this question. Like you said, Megan, right up, right up my alley. Although it's been, a, it's been a while since I've had to implement this, um, but I had fun thinking back on it for any moms who are not familiar what Kara's talking about um, is uh, there's many brands who make them now, but a little a little clock that instead of an alarm clock that would go off and wake up your child, instead for our early risers, it's like red and then it turns green at whatever time you program it to. And that signals that the child can get out of bed or that they can call out for mom or leave their room or depending on the age of the child. So Kara's question is basically like, 
Her three-year-old is old enough to understand green means go, red means stay in your room, and she's just not having any of it. So it's a, it's sort of more on the behavioral side than like an understanding. We had we had one that they don't even make anymore, but it was just a sun or a moon. It didn't have even have a clock. You just plugged it in like a nightlight, and it was blue at night for the sun and orange, kind of orangey yellow in the morning. And I started that in their rooms with their cribs at like a year old. Now we didn't, I didn't enforce any behavior, but they, at like 18 months, they, they knew what the clock turning or the little nightlight turning yellow, kind of what it meant. So I started it super early. Three-year-olds are way smarter as you point out, Kara, and um, often more um, stubborn or defiant. So you're just dealing with a very normal three-year-old, first of all. But I do think there's a few things you can do. Um, So one, one temptation is to make the time that the clock changes your ideal time for them to come out. So if that was seven o'clock for you, but her body clock is saying 545, that's a long time for a three-year-old to wait. So the first thing I always did was make it really successful for the kid by having it be just 10 or 15 minutes after when I knew they were going to wake up. Because then I could reinforce the behavior and have them be successful at least part of the time. Or if they were going to push the boundary, then we were having boundary pushing for like 15 minutes and not an hour and a half. So that's different for every family, like what time she naturally wakes up and what time you eventually want her to stay in her room until. But you can always then later push it back. So I would say starting with um, that kind of discomfort of 10 or 15 minutes that she has to wait, but not longer, um, because then you can actually, then she can practice and be successful, I think at age three. So that was one. Um, very smart. Well, thank you. I think anything with kids coming out of their room or, um, calling out, and this is true, whether it's at bedtime in the middle of the night or in the morning, um, I always say to be as uninteresting as possible, including send the least interesting parent. If, if the if mom is the one that's like more engaged in the power struggle, you can employ dad if that's an option. Um, or even if it is mom to be as matter of fact and uninteresting as possible. So you're not talking to them. You're not arguing with them. You're not punishing them or you're not mad. That's a hard one is like not to yeah. act mad, but you're like, you're cheerful, but like completely disengaged, almost like pretend you were talking on the phone to someone else and you also had to put your three-year-old back in their right. room. Like you wouldn't be mad at them or yeah. shaming them, but you also like wouldn't even be making very much eye contact. Um, so you I know it's funny, a friend of mine just talking about something else, actually yeah. talking about dealing with um, difficult people calls it be a gray rock. Like you just, <laughs> yeah. you're just a gray rock. Yeah. Yes. Like you're just there. You're just, but you're there. not, you're not interesting. You're, you're not, not engaging. Nope. Not, yeah. And, and so for us, what that looked like was I'd hear, I'd hear a little escapee and I'd quickly go up there. And if I needed to pick them up and put them in their room, I might, but if they weren't, if I didn't, I might just kind of on the shoulder, just gently be like, Oh, it's not time to get up yet. You're back in. And if you do it, if you're very uninteresting, but you park yourself outside the door and you just do it over and over and over again, for a lot of kids, if you're super consistent, that might work. Now, I, I always want to tell moms, if you have a kid who's stubborn enough, all the consistency in the world may not help and it's not your fault. Because I feel like with sleep advice, you hear like, if you're just consistent, they'll learn. And I can Some tell you kids that are more stubborn some than kids you can are more ever be. Stubborn than others. Yeah. But that's yeah. a good start. So if you if you can be uninteresting, have the the boundary pushing period be shorter because you've 
kind of worked the clock to your advantage a little bit so that you're not doing this for an hour every day. But um, and then really be excited and have success when she is able to stay in her room. Um, A couple I I know I'm going on here, but I think she mentioned room sharing with a baby. And so and I know we have a lot of listeners for whom that applies. Um, If it's not practical to put an awake three-year-old back in a room with a shared sibling. You could also always say, if you wake up before the clock turns yellow, then your job is to um, read books quietly in this little corner or whatever. You could make a morning time space that's still out of their bedroom where they can't wake up a baby. And then you would, you would still like do all of this the exact same way, but you'd be putting them somewhere else. Maybe if, if noise or waking up a sibling um, is an issue. And then the final thing I was going to say is I I'm all for, um, rewards and incentives for kind of like short-term practices like this, like this, and like potty training, especially a three-year-old could really be help. She could help be part of the solution with like, okay, in our family, we stay in our rooms till seven. That is the rule. We're working on that this week. And so let's come up with a prize or a celebration for when you have stayed in your room for five days in a row or a week in a row. And she can help come up with the reward or the prize. I'm always a big fan of um, having a kid show me they can do something for five or seven days before we do a reward rather than like an M&M each day. Because right. yeah. by that point, the habit has started to solidify and you're not going to need the bribe forever. It's like, let's celebrate a week of successful mornings with a trip to ice cream um, or have them pick something out. I have also done the thing where I purchase a very desirable toy and I unwrap it and it's right there within sight. And we say, I'm so excited that we're going to get to play with this um, after you've had a week of successful mornings. And it's right there. That is that's that really can work for a lot of kids who are bribe motivated. Again, some kids are not. So you just like. Right. So anyway, hopefully I have thrown enough spaghetti at the wall there. I don't know, Megan. <laughs> I think. That was a lot of those for something so specific. Like that's a lot of really good granular tips. Thanks. I love it. Okay. So our final question today comes from Jordan and she wrote us an email. Um, so I'll just read it. She says, I am writing for some tips or suggestions for a clingy toddler with big emotions. My newly three-year-old has always preferred mom. If she's not right by me, she's wondering where I am. She prefers me to hold her and struggles to play independently. She does play pretty well with her one-year-old sister and does fine at daycare once I have left. She has to play with my lower lip to fall asleep and still has a pacifier despite having taken them away already once. She has big emotions when things don't go her way or there's something unexpected in our day. I worry she won't be able to cope as she gets older. Nothing I do seems to help. I talked to her healthcare provider and she basically said this too shall pass and gave me a couple of book suggestions. I'm just looking for more tangible advice about something I can do now to help her cope and get through these emotions and separation from mom. Oh, Jordan. Okay. So (laughs) (laughs) I'll go first on this one. I mean, I just, I think so many moms relate whether their kids are, however that um, manifests itself. And the lip thing made me laugh because I was thinking of my niece, Ruby used to have to play with a mole on Jenna's belly to fall asleep. (laughs) And a few times and, she, and this persisted till she was like two or three. And a few times that she would stay at my house, um, you know, we did a lot of kids swapping back and forth. And I think she spent the night with me a few times when she was really little and I would like snuggle with her to get her to sleep. And then she's like grasping all over me, like looking for a mole and I don't have any. So she's so like, funny. she, it was, it was kind of sad and cute, but she was like looking. And then finally 
I think she would like play with my elbow because it must have felt a little bit like whatever texture she, she found, was looking for. She found for. her spot. She found her spot. But I think like the whole using mom as a lovey thing is really common. Um, and so I just want to validate that that it, it's not you're she's not going to be following you around playing with your lip when, you know, she's five years old or whatever. Um, and just that this happens, like I have had several kids who I have a, a very distinct memory of Owen running like he was maybe four and I had left to go on a walk with the dog and, you know, I get like a block and a half away. I thought he was occupied with his older brother and I hear sobbing and like heaving behind me. He ran, he like ran oh. after me for a really, I mean, it was just so, it was like heartbreaking. He just didn't want me to go. Um, Clara had similar things. Like all of my kids at some point to some degree have had this in some very, very, uh, remarkably so. So like it, it happens. Um, I think you're doing the right thing by being a safe place. I think that you can put boundaries in place if you need to, and that's okay too. Um, but I, but I do think this too shall pass is probably true. I, I think with three is tough because they're starting to come into themselves at three. They're starting to seem like a real little human and you forget that they still have so long to go. Mm -hmm. Like they're so much bigger than they were at two and one. They're not really babies anymore. And so your expectations, I think, maybe ratchet up a little higher and faster than is reasonable always. Um, but your three-year-old, what that looks like right now is not going to resemble what it's going to look like at six yes. or at nine. It, like coping skills develop over time. Yes. Uh, and yeah, it's it, so it's kind of like you have to figure out what you need to do right now to make it tolerable. Mm -hmm. But if it's tolerable now and you're just worried about how it's going to look in two years, I don't want to say don't worry about it, but kind of just don't worry don't about worry it because about in two it. years it's going to look totally different. Okay. So yes, you just, you just said the thing that I was hoping we could get to here, which number one, um, Jordan, I love you. And you are describing the most developmentally appropriate newly three-year-old in the world. Like you are describing <laughs> a textbook, especially a young three. Cause remember that three yeah. is a whole year and a new three is like, that is something special. Uh, those yes. that age. Um, so a teenager, every, right? everything you're describing is like so developmentally normal that like, it's just like, yep, you are, she is doing, she is doing three just as she should with big emotions, with clinginess, um, with, you know, seeming not able to be able to cope, which Megan, as you said, like, that's because she's three. So on the one right. hand, this is like so textbook normal that hopefully that makes you feel good. But the other thing that you just touched on, Megan, that I really wanted to make sure was clear is that doesn't mean that your life as a mom just should become martyrdom and misery because you have right. a three-nager. So then it becomes about like, great, I'm in this challenging season with a three-nager. Um, how can I also get enough alone time? How can I get enough rest? How can I get support. And in a global pandemic, in these unprecedented times, that might be really hard. And I think a lot of parents everywhere are realizing that separation and attachment looks very different because yes. we have lost practice um, of separating from our kids. And I have a seven and a half year old who I've been, if you follow me on Instagram personally, not on the mom hour, I've sort of been posting. Violet now can text me if I'm out for five minutes because oh my not, gosh. she's not yes. her own device at seven, but she has learned how to commandeer other devices. 
or write me letters. And the funny thing her, is, her letters are so hilarious. I mean, I she I'll has be so gone many opinions like about everything. Ten minutes, like I'll be gone yeah. for ten minutes, and she misses me. So everybody's ability to separate um, and a- attach and reattach and detach is kind of messed. You just aren't right places now. to go. Yeah. Uh, yes, and we. And I've heard from so many people just in my regular life, not not listeners necessarily, but just just in passing, people talking about how their kids are regressing and anxieties are coming back. And like it, the attachment thing is is huge. There's no we can't get away from each other. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yes. The um, therapist that I had on a couple months ago, um, Dr. Aaron. I loved the way she said it. She said, nobody is where they're supposed to be right now. And what she meant by that is kids are supposed to be learning to separate from their parents. And moms are supposed to be, you know, getting a little bit more free time. And like nobody, nobody in the world is developmentally like able to do the things they're supposed to do. So that's kind of neither here nor there. And I think actually with a young three-year-old, she's actually supposed to be pretty attached to you. So you're, you know, she's, what we want to make sure Jordan is that you are finding ways to get a break because it's very exhausting to be the preferred parent. And especially in a global pandemic, the good news is you said she does well at daycare after you've left and she plays with her toddler sister. Those are all signs that she is able to cope without you. Um, so I would turn the focus to you and your needs and like, you know, I know in past listener questions, I've given the advice of like, um, taking turns at bedtime and not making it the kid's choice. Um, And that's not an option for all families, depending on the parenting schedule and how many parents live in the house. But um, a lot of times three-year-olds struggle when there's too many options or too, or they have almost too much control. So I've known um, families to have it be very successful where it's like mom and dad take turns. And if it's dad's night to put you to bed, you have to find his lower lip or you got to find another way. And it might be, it might be rough. <laughs> might for, be his elbow. It, yeah, it might be his elbow. And it might be rough for a little while. But if you have the ability to put in structure like that, to build in time for yourself, then she will be okay. She might be kind of mad about it yeah. for a little while. Um, but on the other hand, I want to say, if that feels like too stressful to put in structure like that, then don't do it. Just put her to bed every night with your lower lip. And like Megan said, she's not going to yeah. want that when she's six. So it'll be either way. Yeah. It'll and all be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's what I was trying to get at. Like, is this okay? Is the concern here that you think she won't be able to cope? That's a very different concern than you are having a hard time coping. Yes. And like, those are two different things that you can suss out. I also find it really encouraging that she plays, that she does okay at daycare. I, I think what that tells you is that it, with, with the structure in place mm-hmm. in a, of environment where she feels safe and secure and taken care of, she can separate from you pretty readily, Mm -hmm. which may open up opportunities for you to lean on daycare for sometimes when you don't have to use it. Maybe if you need to refill your, your cup or to have an alternate um, caregiver, whether that's Mm -hmm. your, you know, her dad or someone else in your family or whatever. um, Maybe there's ways to lean in on whatever it is about daycare that works. And I understand you may have had to go through some, process mm-hmm. to get to that point. I don't, I, you know, who knows what the backstory yeah. is, but the once, the once I have left part stood out at me because yes. I've had several kids like that who were fine at daycare once I left. Right. Mm-hmm. But that took, that was a process of getting to that point. You may be able to go through that process in a different way to get you to get more time. Yeah. Um, but either way, she's going to continue processing through her threeness mm-hmm. and her three-year-oldness. And she, it, you're right. She's textbook. Yeah. So, she is right on yeah. track. Um, I love that you asked her healthcare provider because I think that's awesome. And I also know that it's kind of discouraging when the pediatrician just tells you this is normal. And you're like, yeah, but you're not right. in my house. Like, 
this right. is it like you don't seem know. normal. So hopefully yeah. we can be the the additional but non clinical validation <laughs> that yep. this is really hard and also really normal. So yep. Well, this was fun. I know we had a lot of emotional. You know, boys with bad attitudes and emotional girls and just a lot going on. But I think that, you know, this is COVID times, man. Yep. And it's normal. Like, I'm not at all surprised by how many of these episodes or how many of these questions were about emotional health. Yeah. I mean, it really um, it, it makes a lot of sense. So hopefully we helped. And thank you so much for listening, everybody. Hey, if you want to send us a voicemail or listener question, just check the links in the show notes and we will let you know how to do that. We love hearing from you. Yes, we do. And also just a reminder that if we weren't able to take your question and we, we can't take all of them. And sometimes we have to make a call because we get a bunch that are really similar. So we, you know, kind of pick one to represent like a, a theme or whatever. A many, yes. Right. Um, but our Facebook group is a great place to get support and feedback and advice from other moms, including us, because we try we do try to weigh in whenever we have something helpful to say. So people post questions there all the time and it's great to see the discussion going. And I'm just I always am continually impressed and kind of just happy to see the tone of the advice delivered. It's very much what we try to do on this show, which is like, here's what yep. works for us, but you do what works for you. So we're just providing, maybe we're providing experience and, um, validation, but we're not coming from yes. any kind of an instructive, um, or like one right way. And I, I'm always blown away at how our community does the same when they get advice. So if you have a question, I think you can expect the feedback from other moms to be really in that same vein. Um, so that's, yes, if, if you sent us a question for whatever reason, we haven't gotten to it. Um, I would really encourage you to post it to the Facebook group. Um, and you'll probably even get more, more than we'd be able to offer. Cause there's just more experience in that group. So, yeah. all right. And with that, we will be back in your ears soon with another new episode and we will talk to you then. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction. And Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. I launched back in November, and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know I am fan number one of The Teas Made. It's got such a cozy vibe, and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines, and home and family life. Just look for The Teas Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes.